check-in. Center stage on the mic. And we putting it on wax. It's the new style. Four and three and two and And welcome everyone to episode 50 of the weekly Yes And podcast. Episode 50. Can you see the confetti? Can you hear the fireworks? No, neither can I. Sorry about that. So welcome to episode 50, a nice big fat round number. And really excited about today's podcast. So we're going to jump into it really quickly. I want to remind everyone that my book, Three Words for Getting Unstuck, Live Yes And, is on Amazon Kindle as an ebook, And you can have me come and speak at your school or business or sports team actually for a little bit more than that. So why don't you give me a call about that? So let's jump into it. Episode 50. And uh, this week, I'm talking to Lewis Carter. He is the CEO of the Best Practices Institute. And so he and I sat down. We're both in Palm Beach. Lewis, I had no idea just what kind of amazing work Lewis was doing. We, we, we connect with each other on LinkedIn. Uh, he works with CEOs and top organizations, and he's been working with some of these organizations for years, and he's getting into the nitty-gritty of organizational change, and he's been doing this at a high level for a lot of years. And uh, so he and I met at a Starbucks in our area, really close to the both of us, and uh, I love these interviews on the podcast because I get to see the person face-to-face. We get to get, get to play off of one another. And uh, here's the thing about Lewis is he and I met for the first time a few weeks ago, and uh, all he did is talk about me the entire hour. And for those of you who know uh, uh, how effective that is, it quickly got him invited on the weekly Yes And podcast. So uh, Lewis does fantastic stuff. Uh, this is a conversation that, as you tell, as we get going, we start riffing. We could go on for a while. So instead of me telling you about the conversation, let's listen to the conversation. So here we are uh, with Lewis Carter. Uh, on the weekly yap. Please welcome them. Uh, well, once again, everyone, welcome to this week's weekly Yes And podcast. I'm your host, Travis Thomas. Uh, we are sitting outside Starbucks. No uh, no um, sponsorship for the uh, the podcast yet, Lewis. Uh, not my fault. I should have just said a, uh, a large global fault. coffee chain, <laughs> right, well, and everyone would have known who we're talking about. We, we, we are. Well, we could. You know, Why not? This is the place to, to be when, when you come in the morning and get a great cup of coffee and, and uh, just happens to be a global place. And It's it's. The office. Rhymes. It is the yeah. it is the entrepreneur's office. Yeah, it rhymes with tux and, and yeah. uh, has coffee after. It. Yes, yeah, it's, not, it's not a medicated uh, pad either. So no, it's not. No, we can but sell both spots. But it is now. addictive. It, it, it is, is addictive. addictive. Yeah. Yes, yeah. medicated uh, pads and coffee now. <laughs> Good. So we are, I'm sitting here with uh, with Lewis Carter. Lewis is the CEO of the Best Practices Institute. He and I found each other, what, LinkedIn? LinkedIn. Yeah. And we've known each other. I've that's, known and your book, Yes And, for you, many years. And I, I had to say Yes And when you came to me. Well, I was blown away. Well, the reason, if you want to know um, two ways to get on the weekly Yes And podcast for anyone out there, one is send me a wonderful gift basket, which which one of my, my guests sent me a gift basket the other day. That's number one. Number two is when you meet me, um, just talk about me for an hour and and how much you love my improv, it's and that's a guarantee to get all, you yeah. on the weekly. And that's he's, he's he's telling you all the secrets to our success, my success, to talking to Travis. Yes. So when Lewis and I met, uh, he blew me away with a he knew what improv was. B he'd actually seen a show that I was in. 
and he talked about how much he loves Yes And, and so that is a sure way to get it, become a guest on the show. Well, it means I love Travis too, and you got to see him at, at his at his improv because he is phenomenal. He is he is the best of all three. The other two can go, uh, you know, take a hike or you know, get. He's the best though. He really yeah. is. So uh, Frank so, and Jesse so don't, and they, Jesse, don't they, they don't listen hire. to my podcast, you guys, so you can stroke <laughs> me as much as you, you want. You know, you're not listening, but you should yeah. listen now, Travis yeah. and Frank. I appreciate Cause, that because we're 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 talking smack about you. Well, Lewis, this podcast is about you, though. So let's, let's 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 flip the tables. Who am I? Yeah. So you're the CEO, of Best Practices Institute. I think which which probably caught my attention in the first place. So what in the heck is Best Practices Institute, and why 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 are you doing it? Yeah, you know, I, I've been doing this for for a long time, 15 years. I started out. I was uh, in New York City. I had been in this, the consulting world at Ernst & Young, Gemini, and had been on Wall Street for a while, and all that fun stuff that uh, make, makes you want to jump out of a window on the 100th floor. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and, the, and then what had happened is uh, I, I got really interested in organizational learning because I, I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. And it, and it wasn't something that mm-hmm. it was it's tongue-in-cheek. It wasn't, and you say, oh, he's a people person. He wants to help others. It's the truth. Yeah. And the reason being that I had seen a lot of, 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 of abuses, and I'd seen it in them in hospitals and patient-centered care. I'd seen them in organizations where they keep people there you know, all night until 3 in the morning to do things that are obscure, abstract, just to, to break people in. And the, the relationships were breaking down. People were not saying what they meant and uh, doing what they don't mean to do. And uh, so the ethics, the, 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 uh, the way of being, knowing, and doing inside of organizations kind of pissed me off. Yeah. And uh, I, so it started from anger. Uh, for what yeah. should be, uh, and, and, uh, and a desire and passion to change uh, the way the world works, the way that organizations work. And uh, so I would let's jump, jump start where I, uh, I was, 2001, I was in New York City, and I was getting my master's degree. I had it a little bit later in life, I got my master's degree, and uh, I, it was the, the, my very first day of my master's degree was at New York, in New York City. And I was in my apartment, Upper West Side, and the alarm clock went off. It was uh, it was September 11th, and it was uh, exactly at uh, happened to be at 9:10 it went off. And I listened a little bit at 9:11. Uh, I heard the the uh, the news came on, and the uh, plane hit the first tower uh, at, uh, in down uh, downtown, and. Uh, I didn't know what had happened, of course, but I knew that it was a, a. I knew it was a moment in history at that very moment. My sister was coming in from uh, Boston, and her plane was the last plane to hit the tarmac at uh, in the uh, in New York City, mm-hmm. coming to LaGuardia. And uh, so it was good that she made it. It was the last plane that was actually grounded, and she came up to my apartment in the city. It was an atrocious day. It was a, one of the most horrid days in, in the history of the world. I believe one of the yeah, and uh, lost friends and and uh, friends lost family, uh, and uh, we lost so many people that day. And the stench in the city was horrible. Long story short, it was a it was a a, a day that changed my life and a day that changed everybody's life in many ways. I'm a drummer as well, so what I did was I started drum circles. I had to do something. <laughs> so I started drum circles. Most people left the city at that time. Yeah. And I wasn't one of them. Uh, I had a job to do. I had to get my master's, and I had to feel like I needed to do something. So I used what I knew, which was a drum, drumming, drum circles. 
I started it on the Upper West Side, and then it grew down to the Lower East and the East and West of Manhattan, and it started forming communities. And these people wanted to get together because they were sad, and they wanted to connect with others, and they really felt a sense of loss. Mm -hmm. And drums helped them connect in to each other, and the beat of being together, of uh, being to each other's rhythm, uh, and then coming to some sort of catharsis inside the drum circle and mm -hmm. back down again allowed us to uh, to form a resonance with each other that didn't exist before in the city. So I said, okay, I got to get away from this hippie shit and go do something real. Am I allowed to, to uh, swear in your you podcast? Can. You can. For some reason, friendly? I haven't figured it out yet, um, is that uh, in iTunes, it always marks every podcast as explicit. Oh. And yet, it's never explicit. So, so you, truth. you can actually drop as many oh, profanities if you want. Excellent. That's and great. We'll, this will be the first justified explicit podcast I have. We can put it on damn it. Satellite. <laughs> Nice. You use damn it. There we go. I have never heard Travis swear before and I've been feeling really guilty swearing in front of him so this is a great that we Which is interesting because if you if you come to our shows I you know I'm probably the cleanest guy you, you, yet you, I yet my my alter ego comes out on stage and apparently I cuss more than everyone else. <laughs> yeah. We got to come this Saturday. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Good. Don't be a piece of shit. Come to my So okay, I'm just trying to judge. <laughs> no, that's, that's my good. last one for the, the All right, we're talking about 9/11 and yes, now I'm just right, cussing. Right. What is you're, you're so disrespectful. Yes, I am. Us. All right, so back to the drum circle. Yeah. Um, so, so I said I had to get a job, so I went back to the kind of Fortune 500 world, and uh, a gentleman who is a good friend um, uh, at a Fortune 500 company, uh, I, I said, hey, Brian, his name is Brian, uh, and he's a great guy, his name is Brian Fischel. I said, Brian, will you give me a job in, in leadership development? I, I, is, is that as easy as it is? <laughs> yeah, well, you got to ask where what you want 100% of the time, yeah. even if it's a no. <laughs> Uh, we didn't teach him a live yes and yet. All right. But there was a yes at the end of the Well, you were, you were going for the yes and. Yeah, I was. And yeah, simply. And he was, he was a friend. He is a friend still to this day. And uh, I work with him, and he's, he's been on our board. But the question is, I said, Brian, do you want to create something new and fresh then if you're going to say no to me? Because he said, that, he said you don't want to get caught up in this 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 uh, this world. He said, that's it's, you don't want to be in it, inside the system. I said, tell me why. He said, it's a tangled web. And it's it, it, the, the political landscape uh, wouldn't allow you to do the the, work, the great work that you do, right. which is as an external change agent. Yeah. He says, I know how you do it and what you do. I said, well, then let's create something that enables us to do that. So how about we create more benchmark research? And I'd already written about six books at that time on best practices, and it'd be published. And I had brought together all the best ways that people develop leaders in big organizations, and the big one like Boeing and, and sure. Allstate sure. and a lot of a lot of big companies. And, and so I said, let's do that for a bunch of uh, people at your level, which is SVP of talent management, leadership development, chief learning officers. And he was the first one. He signed a check for me there at the moment. And he started the company yeah. with me. He was the reason why this started. He, and the purpose behind it was to create community, mm -hmm. to get away from the tangled web and be who we needed to be external from our environment so we can go back in and be that change and do it fearlessly. Mm -hmm. Because it, it is very scary for most of these people to walk into these environments where they could lose their job easily if they go against the grain. Right. That's right. the bottom line. If they, if they say something they shouldn't say. And the truth is that if they are going to live like that in that environment, there's a huge potential for risk for those mm -hmm. organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, risk assessments and risk management uh, goes up the roof when people don't want to be honest and open with each other yeah. because they could see things that are potentially a, a huge risk to the company and lose them millions and millions of dollars. 
dollars and there could be potential lawsuits. So this kind of thinking became the, the forefront of what BPI is all about. And so he was warning you at the beginning about staying out of this for political reasons, not being able to, to have the impact that you want to have. Um, how has that been for you? Have, you? have you felt like you've been able to sort of get in and break through some of the bureaucracy, some of the politics to, to kind of create that culture change? That, that's the hope. The, the hope is that you can stay away from it enough without, without uh, getting burned. Uh, oftentimes what I, what I do uh, in order to keep that kind of relationship with organizations is find the best of the best. Yeah. So they can go in and, and feel the burn themselves so they're inside. Um, other times I do go in myself. Um, it's important though to keep that, that uh, protection, mm-hmm. uh, which is, the, and, and what I mean by protection is the ability to maintain long-term relationships regardless of the individual that goes into the system. So I keep long-term relationships, 10, 15, 20 years with these organizations. They keep coming back time and again because of the community that I've formed, because it's safe for them, because they can go themselves and go into the organization, and they become what is what I call the thought leader within. Yeah. It's better for them to be the thought leader. Um, it's better for others to be by their side, go into the fire with them, so they can live fearlessly. If, if not, they're not living fearlessly. They're just throwing me into the wind. Gotcha. It's important not to throw the person in the wind that gives them that environment, that safe environment, and that structure for bringing safe environments inside their organization. Without that, they don't have that structure. They don't have that foundation to go live fearlessly inside of their companies. Yeah. They, they need it. Interesting. You talk about that, that idea of safety, of how you create that um, that uh, that space of safety, building that safety, that trust, um, uh, which, which then helps create that culture of authenticity. You talk about when people are afraid to do what's authentic or to do what's right is, you know, when you have the Enrons happen or when you have you know, disasters happen because someone's afraid to stand up and make the right call. From your experience working with these organizations, um, what do you see sort of as the the biggest problems that need to be addressed? Yeah, so so I, I there's I cannot talk about some of the current issues because mm-hmm. they're confidential. I've, I'm under strict non-disclosure. Sure. Let me talk about some older ones. Yeah. Uh, the, what came to mind is the NASA disaster mm-hmm. with, with uh, Challenger. Uh, what had happened after Challenger, we all know the disaster that happened. Uh, what happened is after Challenger, they brought in a lot of OD transformational experts, of which I've, I work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warner Burke is one of them, mm-hmm. Harrison Owen. And what they did was create things called open space, which is much like a drum circle. They're open. There's no, uh, there's, there's, there's nothing in the way of people to see each other like this computer is for us. Uh, we'd be sitting next to each other, actually in a circle. I would be hearing each other through our, our, all of our lenses, our eyes and our hearts and our minds would be connected. Uh, because of that, uh, circles have a, uh, a life of themselves, uh, and uh, because it, it, it's the circle of life, it's systems, it's, it's, it, there's a lot behind it. Oftentimes people meet over a three-day period. Tra- uh, transformation is uh, shown uh, to be most effective when over two days. Mm. So uh, you have to be together for two nights. It's like camp. Kids do better when they stay at camp for longer overnight because yeah. they get their bonds become Absolutely. more cohesive. In that second night is uh, when the change really does happen, and in that morning there's a complete catharsis with most most of these groups. Okay. So happened at NASA. It became more open. It became more collaborative. Um, as a result, uh, there a lot of their experimentation and problem solving uh, was much more transparent and safe. Before people were really fearful to bring up uh, what may be wrong because of uh, fear of, of being 
told they're wrong or being fired or uh, told that that uh, they're not as smart as another person. Yeah. So it, knowledge became different at NASA yeah. after these kinds of open circles and transformation occurred. Where do you think that, because I think that, that, that culture of, of fear and, uh, and not wanting to look like you don't have the answers, um, not wanting to stall something, where, where does that, because it seems still seems so um, prevalent uh, uh, within corporation, where is that growing out of in your experience? Yeah. What I've seen, so I'm, I'm thinking of a company that, just, uh, that I spoke with last night. It, right now, I see it coming out of acquisition. And you think of this, uh, you've been married for years, and all of a sudden this guy or gal comes along and takes your spouse and wants to marry them. And uh, then your spouse says, okay, I'll go along and I'll do it because I have to for financial reasons or for whatever reason it is. So you have this fearful other partner or partner who really doesn't necessarily say they want to go, but they have to go. Mm -hmm. And then their children who are all part of it saying, are you going to leave me alone? Mm -hmm. Am I going to not be seen now? Am I going to have another father or mother? So you have a lot of fearful children and you have a lot of fearful parents, which are at the CEO level, both from the acquiring organization and the merged organization. So the question is, how do you bring them together so they're all on the same page? Uh, and, And bring them together so that they can recognize their differences or similarities is what this is about. And then once you once you have what we call conscious incompetence, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's conscious. There's well, if it's un- if it's unconscious, <laughs> then, you're then you really <laughs> screwed, right? <laughs> right. Well, of course, you're not aware yeah. of right. what what a, what a putz you are. But yeah. uh, but in this in this situation, it really is being aware about what is possible for the future, the delta, the change, the possibility for the change. So that's step one: is that is that uh, that ability to know what, what's wrong. And then bring the parents together and the children together on the same page, and then figuring out by choice who wants to stay and who wants to go. Yeah. You think about Mike Abershoff on his on his naval ships. Oh, my, one of my favorite examples ever. He's yeah. A great one. Best damn ship in the Navy. If you guys want to read a great book, it's Your Ship by Mike Captain Mike Abershoff. Absolutely. Because yeah. Mike's idea was around choice and was around open systems. Yes. If you want to stay on the <laughs> ship, stay. If you don't, get off my ship. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's the whole thing. It's our ship. Yeah. We own it. It's our collective vision. And that's what, what needs to happen now with acquisitions. And to your point, the reason why this is happening now is because of this taking over, is coming back into the world. Back like we had in the, in the 80s. It's happening now again. And there's another force and factor, which is the grandparents are coming in, mm-hmm. which is Department of Justice and uh, other factors in the, in the U.S. government are saying, look, let's look at these possible mergers and unions um, that are happening, see, and let's see if we can bless them or not bless them. Mm. So there, people are be questioning right now: Are we are we going to have a blessed marriage? Are the two uh, are the are our parents going to be married? Yeah. Allowed to be married? Uh, and uh, Department of Justice has a lot to do with that. And they're looking at monopolies, uh, whether or not they can allow for mono- the kind of semi-monopolies, oligopolies to, to occur. And uh, that's another fear factor that is happening. So a lot, a lot of these anxieties are coming out. Yeah. They're wondering what is going to happen. And that fear just causes so much 
possibilities for negative behavior. And either the CEO gets it immediately yeah. or the, the, the head of assessments has to come out and say, I've looked at the organization, I've done predictive analytics on it, found out what will happen if we don't do X, Y, and Z, and what behaviors will occur if we don't do X, Y, and Z. And here you go, Mr. or Mrs. CEO, here's what could happen as a result. Gotcha. And now, okay, so you, you're, you're talking obviously a lot about fear, this sort of this fear-based uh, mindset that's in a lot of these organizations. Um, and you're you're talking about these these transformative two or three day uh, at a minimum um, events where I imagine kind of the core of these uh, of these events is sort of allowing for vulnerability and authenticity to happen. You know, Brene Brown has sort of cracked the egg wide open on vulnerability and the power of vulnerability. Um, how have you seen that sort of how, how have you seen the impact of that in your work? So this, what happened was in the, in the 90s and beginning of the 2000s, there was the age of the competency model. And it was a very strict competency model that organizations had. They had uh, very strict talent reviews that happened either on an annual or semi-annual, biannual basis. Mm-hmm. That, in, that in, embodied or uh, entrenched a system that said, if you're not this way, then we're probably going to let you go, or you can self-select out. Yeah. So that 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 what that told vulnerability. That <laughs> yeah. Was, There's no room it. for you. <laughs> There's no yeah. room for you. Yeah. Hey, vulnerability, yeah. leave. So so the age of the competency model is slowly reducing. The age of the uh, performance management review is reducing to just a few factors to enable us to have a few analytics um, and changing to more of an appreciative mindset. This is what I appreciate about what you do. And here's what I think you could do better. It's still perception, though. Yeah. So we're, we are looking at vulnerability differently now because we have to say you, being vulnerable will enable you to be more of yourself, engage in and create more of the competencies that are most important to us, which is safety and dialogue, very excellent and efficient communication with and among each other, innovative mindset, big picture thinking, Mm -hmm. global growth, systems thinking, strategic understanding. You can be better at these things if you are more vulnerable, if you are more fearless in your work. Mm -hmm. I I think that's one of the the biggest factors. Yeah, which again gets back to the whole idea of of safety, you know, creating creating environments and creating cultures where people feel safe. You know, I love to use the the turtle analogy, right? You know, we're all kind of turtles to a certain extent. We stick our necks out so far, and as soon as we we sense danger, we go back into that shell. We go back into uh, saying the right thing, playing it safe, but you're not getting our full exposure and vulnerability as long as we're kind of staying inside the shell. And it goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think you know there, there's different uh, predictors and different ways that we go back and forth for every individual. Uh, it, it could be anything. It could be thinking about the effect of what we do on others, uh, the effect of what we say on others, and there's help healthy parameters for that as well, uh, being healthy in our dialogue, healthy about what we say and how we say it, because a lot of the organizations I'm hearing right now, they're saying, I don't think we realize how powerful our executives really are. Yeah. Our executives don't realize how powerful they really are. So they're saying things and perhaps being too vulnerable mm-hmm. in front of people without really understanding what it could do for the company. Sure. So sure. I, th- I think stepping into a leadership role and being that leader uh, for others is, is very important. When you uh, when you think about really effective, impactful, um, in a good way, <laughs> leaders that you've worked with, uh, what are the what are the one, two, three qualities that come to mind that you feel are are just so dire for those leaders to have? It's a great question. 
the, the woman that comes immediately to mind is Claire Gaudiani, who was the president of Connecticut College. Uh, also, Frances Hesselbein, who was the CEO of Rose House of America. I see a lot of women CEOs that have embodied great characteristics and competencies. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Uh, there's an emotional intelligence and uh, effective communication uh, and sense of passion and purpose for what they do that I've, I've never seen anywhere else. And Frances, for instance, at the Girl Scouts of America demanded immediately when she got there to see all of the records and all of the demographics of every girl that's a part of the Girl Scouts. And mm. she found out that 100% of them were from white middle class families. Mm. She said, look, guys, I, I want the records. They said, no, we can't get that for you. It's going to take years and years to get Frances. We we're not going to do it. She said, well, I'll quit then. She said, would you like me to quit? Yeah. She's the CEO. Yeah. She said, I refuse to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to work here if you're not going to let me do my job. So she held on. And now, now the Gross House of America to this day is one of the most diverse organizations in, in, in the United States, yeah. if not the world. And they're, they're one of, some of the most successful. So, uh, and she also stood up against the Boy Scouts uh, at that time, which was a very difficult time in the Boy Scouts where there were some atrocities against mm -hmm. uh, young boys yeah. and Frances stood up to them so she is a woman of purpose she's a woman of passion for what she does she has an emotional intelligence that enables her to communicate her passion and purpose in a way that's effective and safe for those around her mm. people understood that it was okay to be around Frances and do that work even if it took them a year to two or or two months to do whatever it may be that they would work hard for her because yeah. they knew that what she was doing was a higher purpose and regardless of what she, what she what uh, how she stood for they saying it's clear, same thing. Uh, you know, had a higher sense of purpose for her work, for the what she called the greater good. It's her book, The Greater Good. Yeah. And uh, it's about philanthropy and the, the, the benefits of giving. And uh, you could just, when you were around her, and I worked for her for about two years, uh, you could sense that she wanted to bring the very best to her environment. She wanted to develop the competencies of her leaders in a way that's positive that they wanted their, their competencies built. Yeah. So if... They thought that uh, focus drive wasn't what they wanted, or if they wanted to be a certain way, they built that built built that culture, and they did it because they wanted to be around Claire. So we emulate and we are who those great leaders are, and I think it's a, a lot around emotional intelligence, yeah. around clarity, a lot, a lot around purpose and passion for our, what we do every day. Yeah, it's interesting as 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 you say that 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 quality of people wanting to sort of be around that individual, and I think. I think probably more in the 80s and 90s, we mistook that for charisma, the, the, the charismatic leader that, that everyone could rah-rah the troops. That's different, though, than sort of being uh, drawn to someone because there's this higher sense of purpose and, and mission. Yeah, and, and an openness, too. Yeah. You know, I know I could go into Francis Hesselbein's office in, in the Upper West Side of Manhattan any day. You could, too. You say, hey, Francis, I'm coming over, and she'd want to meet you. She's that open and, and kind of a person. Claire, same thing. These are people whose doors are open, like Abraham Lincoln's was during yeah. Gettysburg. He, all, his tent doors were open. Right. People, he wanted people to talk to him. He thought of that as part of his job. It's called data gathering. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah. he's collecting intelligence. Yeah. And if people didn't come in, then he wouldn't have that intelligence to make better decisions right. in more time. And to go back to Mike Abershoff again, he, he set up that, that anybody at any time could get direct access 
to him with an idea Absolutely. of how to do things better. And, and whether it's a good or bad idea, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. It's, it's an idea. Right. And, and uh, we could dialogue on it, have a discussion about its possibilities mm-hmm. and purpose, not not slash it down, understand where it's coming from, mm-hmm. and get get the get the data behind it. Yeah. What led you to this conclusion? Yeah. Tell me about your perception. Is it a perception of others as well? Yeah. So all of a sudden, instead of having to put a survey out there, yeah. you have this one person who's like a congressperson who's representing a constituency. Yeah. And, and it's an incredible opportunity because you typically you won't go to a captain or a commander yeah. unless you have a, something really important right. to say. And, right. Or you're a leader yourself and you represent a large constituency. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's just that idea, you know, you, if someone gets into a fight and it's like, well, you know what, you, you don't listen to me. You're like, well, do you have an idea? No, I don't have an idea. But if I had an idea, I want to be listened to. And I think I think creating that culture a lot of times, these leaders create a culture where people just know, just the fact that they know if they need to say something or want to say something that the door is open. Yeah. There's a sense of safety in that, even if they don't feel like there's anything pressing that they need to say. Yeah, you, yeah. you're living that kind of change. You're there, yeah. you're doing it, and now others know they can do it too. And little they know it, the captain's cl- or commander's collecting data. Yeah. You know, it's, it's this kind of secondary need, yeah. and uh, that serves both purposes. Now, for you, uh, uh, on a personal level, um, what is it? what is it about this work? Because this is still... You know, we're talking about organizations. It, it, it seems very top-level work for you on a on a personal individual basis. What is it about about this work that sort of still drives you every day? <laughs> you, you always wonder what got me into this mess, uh, and, uh, or is it a mess, right? And you know, it, it, it has to be a higher sense of, of purpose. It has to be a some for, for myself, and even when it seems the, the darkest of, of, of times or days when you're you're, you're getting uh, you know negative feedback or uh, you've had a tough day getting inside of those systems and hearing the anxieties which had just happened to me yesterday and uh, which were, were tough it was a tough day yesterday it was a hard day yesterday um, and uh, you know, today I wake up it's a new day it's sunny it's beautiful it's bright I'm in front of Travis and we're talking yes and it's the South Florida effect it's, it's, South hard, it's hard to be depressed too <laughs> right. long well, it's true. in palm trees well it is I mean, yeah. and that's why more companies should move down here because yeah. I don't think they realize how beautiful it is and it does have an effect on you to be yeah. out in the sun more vitamin D yeah. uh, you have to keep yourself healthy you and I are in clothes that enable us to go right. running now. although I do have you outside in 90 degree weather for this podcast <laughs> and, and we're, we're, we're <laughs> Both starting to sweat profusely. And we are, and because of my uh, my roots, some reason everybody sweats in my family. So, <laughs> so yeah, but, but yeah, I, it, it's a higher sense uh, of, uh, of I think spirit, I would say spirituality mm-hmm. uh, for in whatever form anybody wants to yeah. uh, attribute that uh, and reason for being here and. I want that to be spread and for others to take it. And as well as the to take it with them, the message, and spread that message. And I think the people around us, like Harrison Nolan or, or Rollin Sullivan and Claire or Francis or Marshall Goldsmith, all, we have over 350 experts that stay with us and mm-hmm. all believe in what we do. So it's, uh, it's a community of amazing leaders and thought leaders and le- people who do this work. And uh, we have admirals, Admiral uh, Kilkenny from the Navy. Uh, there's uh, Colonel uh, George Reed, who uh, 
who's out in California now. Uh, and there, there, there's so many, uh, Colonel Gary Kaiser from the Pentagon, people, who's now, uh, he's now doing uh, private, uh, private work, uh, private contracts. Uh, people from the armed forces to people who have been change agents for governments and uh, Fortune 1,000 companies throughout the world, all part of what we do. Mm -hmm. So it's about a movement. It's about uh, a feeling of, of doing things that are great for others and leaving the world a better place when we, when we leave it. Yeah. So when you think about your own sort of individually articulated purpose, um, what comes to mind? I think of the multiplier effect. <laughs> I think about the fact that you know I, I'm I'm one and I can enable many, and that the, the many will will uh, will enable others to to change and to transform. Yeah. So it's not just about me. And I've said that for 15 years. And I told I told the first gathering of my board. I kept saying it's not about me, and I and it's not, and I cannot give you all the answers. Yeah. The answers within you. So if I could spread that message alone, which is what I'm trying to do now, it, is that allow the deepest truth from yourself to come out and don't, don't BS it. No BS, because you'll only perpetuate assholes in your company. Yeah. Or you only protect, perpetuate jerks in your company. Now, you said assholes. Remember, we're, we're maintaining the explicit. <laughs> I, I just went against yeah. the competency. I'm going to have to get <laughs> spending to, you know, my, my hand only, not, not behind. So that's a little bit of uh, vulnerability there. Yeah. So, so you know, it's it, you know when you, it's about speaking to power. It's about enabling people to speak to power when they need to, regardless of the outcome. And uh, you know, outcomes are can be really extreme in different hegemonies, as we call it, or systems. Uh, you know, in in, dicta in dictatorships, the outcomes of speaking to power can be death. Uh, right, and that's shown itself to be true uh, in many systems. Still, uh, still, yes. still, yeah. as Syria and, and, and other parts of the world, and what we're dealing with now, and, and, uh, which is atrocious, and, and, uh, without making any political uh, statements, which I, I'm uh, bound not to, uh, <laughs> and asked not to, um, which I, I adhere to, because I think stating a political focus uh, takes away from the core of what you can give to the world. And it, it attributes you to one particular point of view that is right. can enable you to open up to possibilities. Yeah. And so when you think, obviously, when you think of organizational change, and you know, it's, it's easy to go kind of straight into the corporate world, but when you think of organization, organization is everything. And um, sometimes I, I know when I think about the corporate world, it can almost feel so daunting to think about. It's almost like you're trying to change the fruit when there's some roots that need to be addressed that would actually help with the fruit. Yep. Um, and uh, you know, I look at schools, I look at you know, just society in general. When you, when you think big picture from your sense of um, uh, other ways that, that, that you want to be able to, to sort of impact change, um, how does that show up for you? Yeah, that, that's interesting because it does have to, it has to impact the telescope. And the telescope, yeah. there are there are schools, there are organizations, there, there are part, other parts of social systems that we have to address. And if you think about schools in general, it, it's, it's one thing to have the, see, the head of school kind of giving their vision, mission, purpose, and then you go into the classrooms and you hear them complaining about children not doing what they need to do uh, rather than talking about the purpose why they're there, yeah. which, is, which is really to help the development of children yeah. uh, in the school. Uh, and it, so I think... I think it, it can't just be at the top. 
It can't stay there mm -hmm. at the top at mm -hmm. the school. It's one thing to create your model, speak to the parents, espouse the theory, but it's another thing to live it. So uh, it can't just sit with the, with the head of school. Uh, it has to cascade down, has to be seen publicly. Um, it has, it ha people need to be seen inside the school. Parents need to engage in the dialogue and feel safe, just like an organization, to say what they want to say. When they're shot down at any point in time and told that, and this, I've seen this happen, told uh, you shouldn't be here then, you should go to another school, mm. is when that school should go out of business that day. Mm. That day should go out of business. Because no parent should be told that at any point in time. So what happens? How do we change that? Yeah. Dialogue. You have to bring <clears throat> the parents in. You have to enable that safety of dialogue. You can't talk at them and tell them what you think is true. You have to let them in and change with you and be fearless in what they will say. Because they're your bosses, ultimately. Yeah, they're right. your clients. Right. If you don't let your clients in to talk to you, just like Abe Lincoln does or, or, or Mike Abershoff does, you're not going to get the data. You're closing yourself off to the people who will build your community for, this, for the rest of its, its existence. Uh, and it, you, the, the, the living organizations over 100, 150 years old know this. And uh, you, you can see this in companies that, that have, are sustainable. Are, are, and there's a great book called The Living Organization that talks about this. It's more open, it's more inclusive, it listens carefully and more clearly to their customers. They're more centric on their customers. Customer centricity is one of the most important things. And so I say to schools and school heads and executives, don't let it sit with you and don't tell and sell to your parents and to your teachers. Enable them to become a part of it. And that's a that's a process. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's that whole that community idea, right? It's, it's everyone's gotta be involved. Everyone's got to have has to have voice and choice and feel like they're a part of the process. I like that voice and choice. It's, it's true. Yep. All right, so Lewis, you and I are starting to melt out here. Right on. Um, and so <laughs> let's let, let's do a little improv to wrap up. All right. And yes, uh, and then we'll let everyone know how to get a hold of you. Ready. And then we'll go back into the air conditioning. Okay. So All right, I'll give you a word. First thing that pops in your head, just go with it. Okay. All right, failure. Truth. What do you mean by that? Well, I thought we were just doing improv. No, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, and. <laughs> Failure is, is truth because it, 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 it brings out what's real, whether yeah. it's uh, something that you were supposed to do or, or, uh, or not. Um, you, you have to fail to learn. If we don't encourage failure, we're not, we're not going to encourage vulnerability and get the data and information and understanding from the system. Beautiful. You're, you're preaching to the choir on that one. Excellent. Uh, leadership. Greatness. Yeah. All right. Inspiration. There's no yes and. No, right? you sometimes. <laughs> but you said truth. Truth to failure was like, all right, I want to know yeah. what that is. You want to know the dichotomy. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. It was, it was too good of an answer just to leave on its own. Okay. All right. Uh, inspiration. Power. Power. Waste of time. <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> not this. Not this. Not uh, good. Podcast. Good. Any, any, are there any uh, temptations that you have that are total waste of times, right. but they're hard to give up? My, my Tourette syndrome. Is somebody giving giving Tourette's? <laughs> no, I, I'm an equal opportunity offender. So to those with Tourette's, please, I'm not. I'm not uh, I, we are making fun of yeah. people now, aren't we? I'm sorry. Well, you are, actually. Really I, you are. Yes, I don't, don't say myself, we. What you, as I'm my brother would I, say, I, you got I'm, a frog in your pocket? I, no, it's, it's you. It's I, not me. I'm trying to blame it on you, Travis. You're not, <laughs> you're not helping me out here. So my wife, the fact that I check Instagram all day, it drives her crazy. It must. Yeah, so it, she's like, that's a huge waste of time. What, what's, what's your big waste of time that you get sucked into? Uh, I have this game I play on my... Uh, my iPhone, mm -hmm. and it's probably, and I actually feel embarrassed to, to play it. I'm a police officer, yeah. and, and I, as, and I, 
I actually, it's a, it's a great game. It's brilliant and well done. And uh, you help other police officers and agents through, uh, uh, you know, tough situations. And I'm a sniper, actually. Really? But, but only for the bad guys. Yeah. It's not, you know, there's no good guys. I assist in police operations. Interesting. On, a, on a iPhone. So on an iPhone. I, I mean, I, pre- I appreciate police so much. I have a yeah. real passion for, for, you know, I really, I appreciate their service. I, I am, I'm grateful for their service. I'm grateful for all service people. And I feel like that's, I, and I'm really, I, it's really, it's the truth for me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love doing it. I love having you know, the ability to do that on this game. And I play it constantly. Yeah. I, I, I don't let my I don't let anybody look at it. Yeah. But uh, uh, what's what's the name of the app? Maybe iTunes will give you a kickback. I gotta get you this. Got it? I don't I I don't have my iPhone here. Here we go. Oh, there it is. So it's, yeah, right it's a there. great game. And this game, it's it's an awesome game. They probably have it on. It's called Sniper 3D. Sniper 3D. Yeah, it's really a great, and I, I play it. Yeah. But they, 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 you know, the real other waste of time is Netflix uh, and yeah. uh, Amazon Prime, and, and I mean, that, I've been watching. Are you? Is there is there any series Narcos. you're streaming right now? I'm is streaming it Narcos. Narcos. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I, I see. I, I saw the first episode of Narcos. Loved it, but I haven't. I haven't. My wife and I, because the last time we talked, you know that I'm addicted to Hamilton the musical. Yeah, I know. She and I are. You know, you should do some rapping. On that, Dude, give me. You want me? Actually, I want you to do some rapping. I, this is gonna. This is gonna include. Taste, this is gonna least. include a whole a lot of things here. But um, just a taste. We've is been it, talking about education. Yeah. We've been talking. So we homeschool our kids. Yeah. So yesterday, my kids are addicted to Hamilton Musical yeah. too. So we did. We do like a little meditation and a little listening exercise in the morning, and then they have to go journal. Yeah. And I was like, hey, go journal, and everyone's got to come back with a little rap. Okay. So all the kids did a little bit of rap yesterday. All right. I don't. I don't have it on me. You. But but you know the Hamilton because you got to understand. You, you want me to you, rap the beginning. You Hamilton. Gotta get a Hamilton. All right, all right. Here you go. Here's here's that. Uh, how does a all, bastard, all orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman, dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished and squalor, grew up to be a hero and a scholar, the ten dollar founding father. Without a father, got a lot farther by working a lot harder, by being a lot smarter, by being a self-starter. By fourteen, they placed him in charge of a trading charter. Now every day, while slaves were being slaughtered and carted away across. Across the waves, he struggled to keep his guard up. Inside, he was searching for something to be a part of. The brother was ready to beg, steal, borrow, and barter. A hurricane came and devastation reigned. The spring, he saw his future drip, dripping down the drain. Put a pencil to his temple, connected it to his brain. And he, fo- he wrote his first refrain as a testament to his pain. Now the word got around. They said, this kid is insane, man. Take up a collection just to send him to the mainland. Get your education. Don't forget from where you came, man. And the world's gonna know you. Your name? What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See, all related. There you go. It's completely yeah. related to vulnerability and wanting to be part of something larger than we are. It's Hamilton, man. And there you, you go. Yeah, well, thank you. And so, to bring it full circle, my wife and I are streaming. We're watching the John Adams miniseries on HBO. Okay, yeah, there yeah. it is. So that, it's why. it's that's, the side. We're the like, purpose. okay, Adams worked his way in, and we want to. It's like uh, for me, I'm like, I wasn't a great student, but um, stuff like this sucks me into the American Revolution, and so, uh, and which is the same try, same kind of thing we're trying to do for our kids. And you were asking that before about American Revolution. We could do this on or off, but it, it's about the why behind it because you can tell a kid to read you can say go absolutely read the classic you know do it yeah. now and my, some of my teachers got really pissed at me uh for you know this well i don't want to read the classic read it it's a classic they got angry but then you know you think of it a different way you read it because you can learn about yourself 
Right. You read it because you can learn about what may be and what you can be and what you can become. The Let, personal connection to it. The inspiration. Yeah. This, this book inspired me. It can inspire yeah. you too. It can enable you to relate better to other kids. Yeah. Enable you to think better about about school and, and the way yeah. we live every day. Well, and then Ham- again, to go back to Hamilton, the musical, what, what has been so... Uh, 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 transformational about it is you've got minorities playing the roles of the founding fathers, and for for kids, especially minority children, to see that portrayed, and uh, they just talk about how transformational that's been. It, it, it takes a story that has felt so disconnected to who we are, and people are going, "Oh my gosh, I see myself in Hamilton. I see myself in Washington." You know? Yeah, um, that's going to be heard. Yeah, comfortable going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, back on track here. Favorite book? Favorite book? Wow, that's a big one. Okay, it's a huge one. Uh, I was just say one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Uh, I mean, it says so much um, about power um, and about uh, influence and, and reality um, and who we all, how, how much uh, we all really are the same. Uh, and uh, whether it be those who are inside the system and, and controlling it or those who are, uh, are uh, within it and... Uh, supposedly benefiting it from it. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of sameness in One Flew the Cougar's Nest uh, that if read with, with the, that kind of lens, you can see there is no difference between Nurse Ratchet and any other of the, uh, of the, uh, of the characters, like uh, Jack Nicholson's. Or, yeah. Or, 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 yeah. 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 Just some people's dialogues are happening on the outside, most of them are happening on the inside. Right on. Yeah. Excellent. All right, last one. Best bargain. Best bargain out there. Best bargain. Yeah. Best bargain. The, like the, the one, if I go there, I'm gonna I'm gonna get what I want, and it's gonna be less than I. I, I don't. You know. Yeah. Like, maybe. Yeah. It could be that. It could be. It could be an app. It could be. You know. What's you're like. Oh man, that is the best bargain. It's the best bargain. Yeah. I could. I could get out there. <clears throat> the best bargain I can think of is I, I really like Blaze. Actually, I could you're getting yeah. a great pizza. I agree. You know, you know, and and it's not that much. It's just it's by by uh, pizza type. They give you can choose what you want on it. Yeah. You can bring a, a cup and they'll and they'll fill it for free. They'll right? actually give me the you, soft drink for you, free. So Blaze which, actually Blaze is a place that's happened at, by the way. It, it's right. Yeah. It is. It, it, yeah. It's great. I mean, it, yeah. And I, now that they've stopped this practice inside of Blaze of yelling every time a pizza is up. Yeah. It's become an enormously better place to sit. But you can just grab the pizza and leave. Right. And here, here, here's here's the interesting thing about uh, companies with fantastic customer service. Blaze is one of them. Absolutely. Fantastic customer service. When you have great customer service, you will have two people talk about you on a podcast without <laughs> without having to pay a dime right. for it. Look what right? they just created. They just got free. Dozens of people are going to hear this. Yeah, dozens, dozens and dozens. <laughs> Tens and twenties. All right, Lewis, to wrap things up, how can people get a hold of you? Um, what's the best way? Yeah, there are two ways. You could go to lewiscarter.com. Uh, My name's L-O-U. UISCarter.com. Uh, go to bestpracticeinstitute.org, bpiworld.com. So uh, you just just look me up on Google, Lewis Carter and best practices. Or yeah, see you there. <laughs> That's about it. Fantastic. Lewis and I are going to go back into the uh, the air conditioning. And yes. uh, yep. thank you everyone for listening to this week's uh, Yes and podcast. It has been one of my favorites. Have a wonderful Yes and day, everyone. The cool check-in, center stage on the mic, and we're putting it on wax. It's the new style. Four and three and two and one. What up? And when I'm on-